Well, again, good morning to you. I'm Joel, and I'm one of the pastors here. Second week of a series in Exodus. Can I go ahead and invite you to open up the Word of God? Ready for some scripture? Yes? Like, we're getting, we need to get more excited about the reading of the Word of God, I tell you. Uh, it is life, it is direction, it is purpose. There we find hope and fulfillment through the powerful life of Jesus Christ. So we're jumping into a series, Redeemed to be Ruled, and we're in Exodus chapter 2. I'm going to be able to run through so many cool things. Um, let me begin with this. Have you ever been in that place in your life where it just seems everything's happening really, really fast, really quickly? It's just, everything's just snowballing, and it's like, man. So that's happened in this nation. I want you to think about the differences over the last 20, 30 years even. Think about 30 years ago. So that have been 1991, okay? Um, how many of you were alive in 1991? If you're not raising your hand, go away. <laughs> All right? So remember, like, 91, I, I think we, I'm not even sure. I know we didn't have the smartphone. We had dumb phones, and we had... Um, like my dad, I think that my, my father, he was a chaplain of the fire department. They gave him a giant suitcase to plug into his cigarette lighter. Like anybody have one of those? And some of you are like, what's that? Um, if you had one of those, you are automatically so cool. Um, I had a StarTac. Anybody have a StarTac? It was a flip phone. It was this little phone, and you would pull the little antenna up, and you would, I would do this. I'd go, whoosh. And it would flip open and I would, talk, like, I would drive down the road and act like I was speaking to people when I wasn't. <laughs> Anybody else do that? Okay. <laughs> Way to leave me hanging. Um, like a, at least a couple of you are usually um, like going to raise your hand because I make sure you have a job. But um, <laughs> so I had the star attack, and I think about all that's changed then. I, I remember when we first started texting. Anybody remember that? Like it would just say, see you later would take you at least 12 minutes. Okay, <laughs> right? It's like, okay, number three, three times. Oh, I did it four. Oh, blasted. It's like, forget it. And then so then you would have to actually call someone, and it was like a buck a minute. And I didn't recognize that. And so everything I ever earned went to my parents to reimburse. That's how much things have changed. So that, that's just with technology. I want you to think about how much has changed in terms of just life itself. I want you to think about what's changed in terms of government, what's changed in terms of politics, what's changed in terms of schooling, what's allowed in school. Pra prayer was allowed in school when I was in school. Now, I never encountered it as being, you better pray. I just said, let's pray. That's what people did. They prayed. Now you don't get to pray in school. And um, as for me and my kids, they will, still, they will continue to pray. All right, that's what we talk about. Um, the beliefs that we have in terms of desire and what we think we should be able to do and not do, things have changed a lot in the last 30, 40 years. You're, you're there with me on this, right? Now, that's important because contextually we want to understand what's happening in the story of Exodus. So just a reminder, if you didn't get to listen to Exodus chapter 1, I invite you to go back and listen to that from a week ago. But what, what we need to recognize is this. There was about a 300, just over 350, between 350 and 400 years between the time of Genesis and the book of Exodus being written. Um, the Hebrews, the Israelites, go to Exodus, or go to Egypt, rather, I'm sorry. There's 70 of them. And then over the course of that time period, 350 to 400 years, those 70 become over 600,000 men, roughly 2 million people in total. And God is blessing, and God is working, and God is doing this mighty thing. It's, it's remarkable to think about. 
But then what happens is, according to Exodus chapter 1, a new Pharaoh comes on the scene, a new king. And he's like, wait a second, you got all these people, we got to do something about this. So he does what? As you remember from last week, right? Oppression, hostility, we're going to just make it as hard as we can for them. But they continue to multiply. Yeah? Remember? Do you remember? How many of you remember? Anybody? Okay. Um, wow. Just keep going. So um, Exodus chapter 2, that's what's taking place, uh, is, is about to be very significant for us because what's happening is very quickly... Very quickly, all of a sudden, the people woke up, and it's like, oh, there's oppression. And then very quickly after that, remember, he goes to the midwives and says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to kill all the males that were born to the Hebrews. So then he's all the, very quick. I was like, wait, what just happened? We were multiplying. We were growing, and now we're being oppressed, and yes, we're still growing. But now all the males are being going to be killed, even though the, the midwife said, oh, we're going to fear the Lord more than we're going to fear Pharaoh. But we know in time this is, this is what was occurring. It happened so fast. Hello, United States of America. It has happened so fast. Now, part of the reason I want you to recognize this is because I want you to just relax a little bit. Some of you, um, if you talk about Jesus, you're like, oh, he's cool. And if I mention politics, you're going to get fired up. Anybody married to somebody like that? You're like, turn the news off. But here, it happened, it happened thousands of years ago without technology. Without social media. And things shifted so quickly. So I want to make sure you understand. I'm going to give you the overarching things that happened in Exodus 2. And then we're going to jump back in and go through some of those details. Because I think that if you can make sure that you understand the bigger picture first, then it's going to help us process some of the smaller things that was taking place. So that leads up to Exodus chapter 2. Pharaoh has everybody, all the males being killed. Pharaoh, uh, then after making sure all that happens, we know very, very quickly that Moses is going to be born. Moses helped God use Moses to deliver the people out of captivity. They are now in slavery. They were not always in slavery in Egypt, but here they were. So he's going to help deliver them out of slavery. But then he's going to grow up. Um, Moses grew up in the house of Pharaoh for the first 40 years of his life. So this is, this, is, this is good for us to recognize. First 40 years, there he is. He's being brought up, growing into a man. Then you're going to see a second 40-year period in which he's in the wilderness. And then finally he hears from God. All right, you're, you're following me there. So 40 years, he's going to be with Pharaoh. And then 40 years, anybody ever felt like they were in the wilderness before? I have. I can tell you very specifically where I'm like, what's going on? And yet here's Moses, 40 years in the wilderness. We're going to get to Midian later on. So here, um, after the wilderness, he hears from God. The, the, the Pharaoh had dies. He, you're going to see that in 23, 24, um, in verse 23 and 24 of chapter 2. But then all of this other starts to happen. So that's kind of, in summary, what, what was happening is that Moses, first 40 years of his life, recognized that he had every privilege there was. Egypt, during the time period, was the, it was the bomb. Like, in terms of education... Like their mummification process, science, all that stuff, like what they could do was remarkable. They were considered to be an amazing place of advancement during this time period. 
And so Moses has access to this, even though a Hebrew, because we'll find out later how he came into Pharaoh's home, because Pharaoh's daughter found him in a basket flowing down the Nile River. But here's a guy who had access to everything, and he thought he's, he was something, right? Like when you grow up in the king's home and you have access to everything, you kind of like, I'm the bomb, hello. But then he made a mistake. And so the very person who thought he was really something special recognized very quickly that he was actually nothing at all. But praise be to God, he later recognized that God could do something remarkable with nothing. That's the pattern that I've always heard about with Exodus chapter 2. I've heard it from different speakers my whole life. It's what we see. Despite an upbringing that allowed Moses to believe he could do anything, first 40 years, hey, I'm in the king's house. Ooh, I got education. I can do everything I want. He's already been trained in military tactics and everything else, okay? God took Moses then, though, to the desert to show him nothing. Like, hey, listen, you're nothing. Don't, you need to know where you're coming from. But then he later revealed to Moses that he could do something with nothing. So that might be where some of you are today. You're like, you don't understand. I have failed so many times. Listen, the life of Moses is God taking a failed leader and using him to deliver millions of people out of captivity. There's always this thing called grace, and if submitted to God, God can use anything for his glory. Right away, I hope that just gives hope to your heart. That you're reminded of God's goodness, that he doesn't forget us, that he doesn't forsake, that he's always with us, he's present. So, Here we jump into Exodus chapter 2. That's a summary of it, but we're going to jump in and walk some of these wonderful details together. A man from the house of Levi, that's important because there's 12 tribes of Israelites. Levi is one of them. So Moses is now a part of that. That's important to know. He says, a man from the house of Levi went, took his wife, a Levite woman, conceived, bore a son, saw that he was a fine child. I love this. Moses is writing this, and so he's referring to himself as a fine child. So what some of you would do. Um, I would never do such a thing. Um, The woman conceived, bore a son, fine child, um, hit him for three months. Could only hide him for three months. Couldn't hide him any longer, according to verse 3. I don't know if it's because he cried a lot. Maybe it was John's baby. I don't know. I mean, seriously, I I don't know if he had ear infections. I, I don't know what was going on. Right? When, when we had all of our different kids, and um, if they're crying during the middle of the night, if, if I couldn't Benadryl them enough, I was like, what's really wrong? And I'm kidding. <laughs> I've got to start remembering that this is being recorded. <laughs> Gosh. Like they're, every Monday morning, they're like, Pastor, we really appreciate the word, but could you just deliver it differently? Um, yeah. So... Uh, you know, I would always say, okay, they're crying through the night. Honey, like, fix this. Like, what's wrong with them? And uh, you're thinking, is it an ear infection? Do they have a fever? You start going through the list. This baby must have, man, Moses must have some good pipes or something. I don't know because they couldn't keep them quiet, maybe. We don't really know. But they couldn't hide them anymore. So we know that then what happens is they take them and they place them in a basket. Throw them in the Nile River. And say, hey, listen, in faith, we're going to learn Acts chapter 7, also Hebrews chapter 11. Those are both important for you to probably write down. In Acts chapter 7, you're going to see some passages I'll refer to later on if I can get to it. Also, Hebrews chapter 11, 
23, 24, 25, they're all running parallel to what's happening here in the book of Exodus. All right? So they throw, uh, the parents end up throwing Moses in a basket, put him in the Nile River. Pharaoh's daughter, who's there bathing, that would have been a normal thing. Um, part of it is because of the gods that they believe was present with the Nile River, etc. This was a very polyistic, uh, polytheistic environment and society. Um, you know, monotheistic, that's one God. Hey, there's one true God. We believe in one true God. There are no real, there are no other gods. There they had many gods. That's why even when we get to the plagues in a few years, it seems like, um, when we get to the plagues, Acts chapter, I mean, Exodus chapter 7 and following, each one of those plagues represent the one true God defeating one of their gods. So we'll talk about that some more later on. But here, here's this Pharaoh's daughter bathing, sees Moses, this little baby in a basket that's in the weeds, pulls, here's this baby, this child. And it's remarkable here to see what's really happening because Amron and Jochebed, uh, these are the parents of Moses. Miriam is his sister, Aaron is his brother. We find these things out later. Some of you are like, hey, well, if they're killing all the males, why didn't they ever kill Aaron? Aaron was older. He would have probably already been a particular age when Pharaoh said, kill all the male children. Okay? From best we know. And so here... We see this remarkable story unfolding. She's not able to hide him anymore and so ends up releasing him. Now, I want to show you a picture of what this would have looked like. Here's a picture of the, uh, the Nile River. Let's go ahead and just jump into that real fast if we could. Um, right here, this is modern-day Nile River. It would have changed a lot. You see all that flat area, depending upon whether or not it was rainy season. But this is a picture of the Nile River, what it would have been like, a basket that would have been very similar to what Moses would have been put in, looks like this. Can I tell you, this is how God works. Let's just leave this up here for a moment. The word in Hebrew used for basket is the same word that's used for only one other time, and it's used for the word ark. Deliverance from water, both times. Really need to be able to think about because of that connection. I think the connection is deliberate. The one saved by the ark will also save others. And so we see this taking place. As we look at this scripture, though, and as we are reminded of all that God is doing, um, and I'm just going to, I'm going to, in the back, I need to go ahead and identify, I'm going to run faster than I did last time because we ran up to about when you showed up. Um, so I want to try to just go ahead and keep going. Um, the Pharaoh's daughter opens his basket, sees it, verse 6, sees his child. Behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is, the one, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, I want to stop right here. Verse 7, Exodus chapter 2. His sister, Miriam, has been obviously been following Moses. She's wanting to see what would happen. Now, I can't imagine the emotions and the feelings of putting my child in a basket and say, what am I going to do? Like, if I put him in this basket, put him in the river, he's probably not going to live. But if I keep him here, he's certainly not going to live either. So what can, like, if you're a parent, the angst in that already is, is severe. 
And so his sister is now going to go follow to see what happens to him. And this is what's so interesting about verse 7. It says that all of a sudden, Moses' sister stepped forward. You know that just like Pharaoh's daughter had found this basket in the weeds, that this girl had been hiding in the weeds, and now she is willing to step forward. Is God asking you to step forward in some part of your life that currently you have not been willing to? And this, I think as I kept reading this passage over and over and over again, that's something that really stood out to me. All of a sudden, here's Moses' sister willing to step forward, and this would have been hard to do. This is Pharaoh. This is, these are Egyptians. Now they've been in slavery, so someone who's considered to be a slave is going to step forward and say, hey, hang on, can I answer some questions here? I mean, that's what we see. His sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse? From the Hebrew women to nurse a child for you. Verse 8, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. This this is good. Watch this. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I'll give you the wages. So now Moses' mom is able to nurse him. And here's here's the best part about it. The mother is about to get paid to take care of her child. Anybody else? Hallelujah. Anybody going to sign up for that? We'd have, we would have so many more children running around here. Right now, this would just be our four-year-old class. Right? And so now, all of a sudden, she's going to get paid. And check this out. She and he will have the protection of Pharaoh, which they would not have had otherwise. Now, because of such a high infant mortality rate that would have happened during this time, we know that typically you would have someone come and fill in that role for roughly three years. So it's safe to assume that for at least the first few years of Moses' life, that he was able to have his mother, his true mother, be able to raise him. Remarkable. Remarkable to see how God is working. And I don't know if they identified it fully then, but it's hindsight, right? It's 2020, and you start to see more clearly. And I hope that in your own life, you can see how God has used even hard situations, putting a baby in a basket to do a mighty work. To do a mighty work. So we continue in this, and we learn Hebrews chapter 11 that I told you I wanted to reference later on. I want to go there now very, very quickly. Hebrews chapter 11. If you would turn to that with me. Verse 23 through 28. It says, by faith Moses. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, just a reminder for you, especially if you're new to Scripture and to the Word. Hebrews chapter 11, we call it the the chapter of the heroes of faith. It's walking through some of the heroes throughout Scripture and throughout all that was happening for the people of God. And in verse 23, it finally comes to Moses. It had already gone through Noah. It had already gone through Abraham, some others. And so now we come to Moses, and it says, when, when he was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents. I told you this runs parallel to all that's happening here in the beginning of Exodus. Because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Remember that. So we already know that the midwives, chapter 1, when Pharaoh came and said, I'm going to give you the responsibility of making sure that all these uh, Israelite women, and when they have a male kill them, they said, no, we fear the Lord more than you. So they wouldn't do it, but that, we know that that began to happen anyway. Well, now, we also know that Moses' parents feared the Lord more than they feared an edict from the king. Because one, and you see their faith, one in the fact that they hid him, 
Two, in the fact that they were willing to release them. Sometimes that which you are called to release will be the greatest demonstration of your faith in God. By faith, it says Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Are you willing to be identified with God rather than to be identified with fleeting pleasures of sin? And the, we've all answered that question before. I guess my question to you is which one have you chosen? Which one have you chosen? So if we go back to the book of Exodus, that was Hebrews chapter 11 once again. It tells us, verse 11 and following, this is when it shifts. Those, those first 10 verses, um, 11, 12 verses really, those are the first 40 years that we spoke about. We're about to jump into the second 40 years. It says, one day when Moses had grown up, all of a sudden he's grown. Here he is. He's been educated, everything else. He went out to his people. He knew who his people were. He looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Now, I just told you he would rather be identified. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, he would rather be identified with those who are being persecuted, those who are being oppressed and be faithful to God rather than be identified with the sin of the Egyptians and the fleeting sins of the world. And so all of a sudden we see him jump in. He says he looked this way and he looked that way. He didn't see anyone. So he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. He killed him. Now, the punishment for killing an Egyptian is death. And he knew this, but he didn't think anybody saw. But then very quickly, we learn, it says, The next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling with each other, two Israelites. He said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered him, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you kill the Egyptian? And right away, Moses knew that when he looked to one side, looked to the other side, and then killed this Egyptian. When he thought nobody had seen him, he had been seen. And some of you are living in a condition in which you don't think people are seeing you. You don't think that God knows. But God knows what you're doing. And as a result of that, of being found out, he now is wanting to flee. He is wanting to leave and to get out of that place as quickly as possible. And tells us he just takes off and goes to Midian. Now I want to show you a map of Midian because this is important for us. You see where he, he was there in Egypt and he comes way over to Midian. It's just complete desert, by the way. Hot, yucky desert. This is important because you see Mount Sinai. Some people would actually consider Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb. They're right there together. It's kind of one area, but Mount Sinai is higher. That's important for you to know just because later on, um, we know that Moses is going to lead the people out of Egypt, and they're going to travel all through that region. There's been plenty of archaeological studies that have found that those travelings and where they would have spent time and camped with all of the different potteries and different things that they would have had during that time period. It's all there. Some people would put Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb actually in Midian. There's different, different understandings of that in terms of where people draw the territorial lines. But you can see how far he left, and he left. He didn't take off. They Remember, no planes, no trains, no automobiles, no StarTac, mobile phones, nothing. And he didn't go just a 
5, 10, 20 miles away. He took off and he left. And he says, i got to get out of here because he feared what Pharaoh would do to him. We see that very thing. It tells us in verse 15, it says, When Pharaoh heard of what he had done, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh. He went to Midian and he sat down by a well. So we fast forward and we see what's happening here. And for the next 40 years, friends, God is going to put Moses in the wilderness in order to prepare him and in order to sharpen him and to also break him. Can you tell me when in your life you have been broken? It's one of the questions I I ask frequently here. I've mentioned it here even when we hire different people. I want to know how someone's been broken, not necessarily only embarrassed. Right? When you're embarrassed, and the reason I ask that question of people in the interview process is because I think a lot, of, a lot of us have been embarrassed before. We've gotten caught for something, and we wish we wouldn't have got caught. But you really don't feel that bad for it except for the fact that you got caught. Anybody? Right? Brokenness, though, is when you see your true failings. And you see the true condition of your heart. And yet the grace of God has still overwhelmed you and let you know that your life is now his life. And I can tell you times in my life personally where I have been broken. I'm not going to go through all of that right now, but I remember once I was 28 years old and I spent a year that felt like 20 in the wilderness The only way I knew how to commune with God, it was hard for me to pray, so I just, I forced myself to write a chapter of scripture every day. And I would cry, and my wife and I would hold hands, and I'm like, I don't know, I have no purpose, I have no usefulness, I don't know what's going on, I quit my job, I mean, I left the church, I'm like, if this is what God wants the church to be, I don't want anything of it, I mean, I went through it all. And yet here, Moses is about to walk in the wilderness for 40 years. And we struggle with brokenness. The reason we often struggle with brokenness, if you look biblically at just the patterns that we see in the Word of God, we struggle with brokenness because often we've already decided what we want God to do. So when God doesn't do what we want on our timetable... Then we get angry at God. We'll even question the existence of God. And we'll say, well, then what kind of God is I? The number one reason people don't believe in God, the ones who don't believe in God, the number one reason they give for the reason they say they don't believe in God is not science. What they say is this. Because there are actually more scientists who declare that there must be a higher power than those that don't. The number one reason is this, is because bad things happen. Bad things happening are not the result of God making them happen. They're the result of sin in our lives and in our hearts. Period. And so then we struggle with that. And we're going, why do I have to live in the wilderness? This isn't fair. I don't love God because he must not love me. And what we fail to recognize is that we're so prideful and we think so much of ourselves. 
that we can't imagine God wanting to do greater things in our lives, and so we get upset with him, and we never really allow God to step in and do his radical work. And so here's Moses, who's about to be used to deliver over 2 million people out of captivity, who had to walk around in the desert for 40 years, chewing on sand. But most of us, after about a week in the wilderness, we deny God and say, there must not be a God, I can't believe this is happening. Because he goes to Midian, which is nothing but desert. He goes to a well, and we see God right away start to prepare him. That's my question for you. Have you experienced brokenness? A full understanding of your need for a redeemer? Or have you only been embarrassed? Can you speak about your wilderness experience and what that means? Are you willing to walk through the wilderness experience eager to learn what God is wanting to teach you? He takes off. He sits down at a well. And it says the priest of Midian is there. He has seven daughters. Well, it says the priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came, these ladies... They drew water, filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Verse 17 is, in, is very important for us. It says, the shepherds came, drove them away. The shepherds came. He wanted to drive these women away with their cattle and they go away. But Moses stepped in and drove them away and, and watered their flock. So now all of a sudden, these daughters come home and like, hey, this is what happened. And da- dad's like, oh, hold up. We're in the middle of nowhere. This man comes and he helps you out protects your, our cattle, go find him. That's a keeper. Like, you know, they're like, oh, man, this guy, this is what happened when I met my wife. They met me, like, he's got to be a keeper. That's what I choose to believe, at least. My grandmother-in-law just turned 101. And I always remind her, her name's Gigi. I said, Gigi, everybody, know, just go ahead and tell everybody I'm your favorite. She goes, oh, sweet child of God. I hung up on her. I'm just kidding. I didn't hang up on her. It was a win. I was called a sweet. If I'm ever referred to as sweet, that's called a good day. Amen. So all of a sudden, she's like, go find this dude. Go find this man. And they're like, an Egyptian delivered us. Go find him. Why have you left that man? Call him. That he may come and eat bread. So they came and they found Moses. And he, he was content to dwell with them. And so the, the guy gave him Zipporah, his daughter, in marriage. They have a child. Now this, ha- this didn't happen like this. I don't, this was over time. I don't want some of you young people to get the wrong kind of idea here. They had a, even a child. Gershom is the first son that they had. Gershom actually means foreigner there or banishment. I think that's interesting. So here is Moses, a foreigner in this land, and he names his son foreigner or banishment. I think it shows you the the strain, the, the, the sensitive nature of still what's taking place within his own heart, with his own life. But for 40 years, he stays there in the wilderness. And this priest, Jethro, had seven daughters, and he gives one of his daughters to him in marriage. And God is doing a great thing. 
40 years, being raised 40 years in the desert, where now Moses is being broken. And then very, very quickly, we, we do recognize God was preparing Moses. But then in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 and following, it says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for, their, for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Remember, Jacob's the one who first went to Egypt with 70 that became 2 million. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. That's how it can go. And God knew. What we see happening here is, is remarkable. One, one thing that this doesn't mean when God, it says God remembered, it doesn't mean God forgot. Um, I've heard, I read three different scholars who all say it was more of like this divine delay. Like, so God's going to do things in his timing. That's another reason we struggle with God is we want God to do what we want God to do when we want him to do it. But God doesn't go by your schedule or your calendar or your schedule of events for the next day. God is God. We need to surrender in such a radical way to God that whatever he says goes, when he says go, we simply say, how high do you want me to jump? That's it. But because we have an understanding of God, that God is actually here to meet our needs rather than us here to surrender and to submit to him, we have this strain with God. We're always in conflict. And yet God is using Moses, and now the people of God are like, oh, they're crying out for help. We're in slavery, God. And he hears their groaning. And so he's going to step in and bring deliverance. I'll tell you, Moses needed a time in the desert to learn not what he desired, but what God desired of him. It's one of the most important things that I've learned about wilderness experiences. So some of you may be in that wilderness experience, and I would encourage you to pray about what does God desire of me? Rather than simply what do I desire for myself. Part of the wilderness experience, if you walk through one, is to get you to look beyond yourself and to look to God. When I look at this passage, and I, I just want to sit in this role, I want to conclude with you hearing the power of what was really happening here, is that for 40 years, what we see from verse 11, 12, all the way to 22, is we see God preparing Moses to respond to the cry of the people. Verse 23 and 24. We see God preparing Moses. And the thing I would probably encourage you all to leave today to make sure that you ask one another is this. What is God preparing you for? Like right now, write that. What is God preparing you for? What is God preparing in you? What is, God, what is God preparing in you? Friends, we start with all of a sudden, 
the people, the, the Israelites, they wake up one day like, man, it's changed so quick. We were at least prospering here in Egypt, and now we're in slavery. And then, boom, now he's trying to kill all of the males that were born. And it's like very quickly within the course of what seemed like a few years, it's like, what just happened? And so now after 40 years of being raised in this environment, now Moses is going out and he has 40 years of God preparing him to be used in a radical way. What is God preparing in you? Um, I had to run down to Atlanta for a quick day. On Thursday, I came back, and I sat there on the airplane just processing and taking some notes on some things. And um, one of the things I wrote down, and it's still on a napkin that says Delta right now, but one of the things I wrote down was, I want all of God in all things. Like, it's already in me a lot, so get used to that. I want, I want all of God in all things. Friends, we live in a post-Christian nation. Pre-COVID, 28% went to church regularly in this area. Now they say it's less than 20%. We do not live in a Christian nation. The quicker the church would recognize that we live in a post-Christian world, and the quicker we would recognize that the way we did church for decades is part of the reason why, the more quickly we could then make adjustments to actually start surrendering to a God that could use us to bring deliverance for the entire world so that they would proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. The quicker we would recognize the way we've learned sacrifice, the way we've learned surrender, the, the, the definitions we have of those words, they're not biblically accurate. It's not, God, this is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to live my life. God is wanting to prepare in you. For everybody who is a believer in Jesus, what he's wanting to prepare in you is for you to have a heart that says, God, you take my calendar. You take my kids. I don't have to live in this neighborhood. My kids don't have to go to college college or school in this way. I don't have to have this kind of job. The way we've been doing it doesn't work. And what we're needing people to understand is that God, I fully believe that God is preparing each one of us, chapel point, get ready to be used in a way that you simply don't think is possible. Do you think Moses said, hey, I know I'm going to be in the wilderness for 40 years, but I'm going to deliver the people of God, and I'm going to be spoken about for thousands of years. Mic drop, walk away. No, he didn't think that was possible. You really think that was his mentality? It wasn't. But what is God preparing you for? And I tell you, he's, he's trying to get our attention to help us to understand, to understand words like surrender and sacrifice and love and grace and forgiveness and accountability and a whole new way. What is God preparing you for? Are you willing to step away from your current life, if that's what God asks, and to live radically different for the rest of your life as long as the kingdom of God is proclaimed? Be careful about answering that question. Because if you're a devout believer in Jesus Christ, you don't put limitations on the God of creation. 
It is time for us to learn what it is to rise ourselves up, to lift ourselves up, to, to proclaim ourselves as children of God so that we can speak Jesus and to live differently than we've lived before. The church needs to recognize that the church we have become isn't the church that is found in the New Testament. It is one of sacrifice. It is one of surrender. They sold everything they have in order for the kingdom of God to grow. And honestly, here's what gets me in my core is I'm afraid to ask you if you're willing to live as the New Testament church. Because if the answer was yes, we wouldn't be in this predicament we're in today. Because he's too beautiful. He's too, too good of a God. What is God preparing you for? Are you willing to have a new calendar, new job, new life, anything for the kingdom? Anything for the kingdom? Amen. Anybody? Anybody else? I'll go, listen, friends, I'll go alone. I don't mind. But will you go with me? Anybody? I got six. I'll take six. I know, I know Aaron. I know you'll go with me. Let's go, brother. Do you know how many people have driven by this church in the last two hours? You don't know him. Do you care? God, I'm in. Take me through the wilderness. Teach me what you have to teach me. But all, I want all of you, God, in all things. I want all of you, God, in all things. I want you in my marriage. I want you in my finances. Whatever you have to do to teach me, for you to be all of yourself and all of me, I want that. I want you in the way I raise my children. I want you in the way that I think about a job and retirement. and all. God, I want all of you in all things. You're the only thing worth living for. Declaration in Jesus Christ. You are my Savior. You are my Deliverer. You are my Comforter. You are Jehovah Jireh. You are the one and only true God. And for that, we worship you. And we will not be silenced. Amen.